Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. You know, I think initially they have to have a plan. So I would say get an index card. It sounds so simple. Get an index card and write down your number one financial goal. Doesn't matter if you have enough money or you even think you're going to have enough. Just write down that goal. It could be to pay off my house before I retire or to send my kids to college or to save enough for one month's emergency. Uh, And then write that on the card and let that be the beginning of saving for you. Michelle Singletary is a personal finance columnist for the Washington Post, and she has a good word of advice for the person who's living paycheck to paycheck. Well, it sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? Michelle Singletary has some great insights for you, even if you think, I can't get there. She'll offer ways you can on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. And Jim, for so many families and so many individuals, uh, it can sure feel like the money comes in and the money goes right back out. Well, it does, especially with inflation. Sometimes I'm shocked when I'm paying the bills, car insurance, medical bills, gas bills. The the costs just go on and on, Mm -hmm. right? And those things keep going up. It's hard to uh, keep up with it. And whether you have a lot of money or a little it's a huge point of stress. Uh, Conflicts about money are one of the top contributors to marital strife. And maybe we'll uncover what's behind that stress today. And as I said, uh, Michelle Singletary writes for the Washington Post. She's written a number of books, including the 21-Day Financial Fast. And we do have copies of that book here at focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with Michelle on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Well, Michelle, let me welcome you to Focus. Oh, thank you. I'm so honored. Oh, my goodness. I'm so happy. Oh, that is kind of you. Now, you're working full-time at the Washington Post, creating that column to help people with their money issues. What's something that you see in that position, working with a broad spectrum of people, what do they say is causing them heartache? I think two major things, their inability to save and and their debt load. Um, And it's just weighing so heavily on folks um, that they don't see a way out. And they just they do. They just throw their hands up because they they can't save enough. uh, And then they can't save enough because they have so much debt. Now, are are you um, and I, I mean this sincerely, are you saying that when you look at 130 dollar energy bill per month and you're looking at a couple hundred dollars on auto insurance and you're trying to pay your rent which varies around the country I get that but even here in Colorado Springs I mean you're paying maybe Mm -hmm. 1400 to rent an apartment Um, those are big expenses it is Um, how do you get ahead when you're again barely making it I mean it's like you're bringing in uh, 3,000 a month and you're spending 3,000 a month on those essentials right You know, I actually want to use an analogy. At our church, we have altar call every Sunday. And lots of people sit there and they say to themselves, I'm not ready to go. I'm not good enough to go. And and they they delay it. Um, And it's the same thing with your money. People think, I just can't do it. And, And absolutely, the bills are high. The rent is high. Energy is high. But you can't wait till you're ready to do it, just like you can't wait ready to accept Christ. So you have to just leap out there. And what does that mean? It means making different choices. Mm -hmm. It may mean that you can't live in that apartment by yourself. It may mean that your kid can't go out of state 
for college. They have to go in-state, and maybe they can't even stay on campus. So you have to know that you've got to make better choices. Just like when you choose to accept Christ, you've got to make better choices, but you don't come perfect. And it's the same thing with your money. And I have to remove that from people that I can't spare it. you got to get rid of that I can't spare it, or you won't be able to do it. Do you think it's fair to say that people live in categories? I hate to say that, but when you're uh, you know, just making enough to pay the bills, and then there's those that have a little more discretionary income, and they're making perhaps poor choices. Right. And then even, you know, it's so funny when you talk to financial experts, and I'm sure you're right in there as a financial expert, you talk to people that make what seems like quite a bit of money, maybe six figures, 100000 maybe 150000 they seem to be struggling too. Yeah, everybody's struggling. <laughs> I tell now, you. How does that happen? I know somebody making $50,000 right. a year would look at somebody making 150000 They'd say, if I had that, I would be fine. But you talk to those that have it and they're going, we're squeezed. Right. How does that happen? Because the more you make, the more you spend. And if you remember, all of us, when we started out at our first job, we thought, oh my goodness, this is no money. And then as soon as you start making more money, what did you start doing? You elevated your standard of living <laughs> mm-hmm, right. so that you started to live up to what you make. You know, I was raised by my grandmother. I'm going to call her Big Mama. I say that again because that, there's a story My Big there. Mama. Big I Mama. I was raised by my grandmother, who we call Big Mama. It's the funny thing is, she wasn't a big woman at all. <laughs> right, but big in your eyes. But big in my yeah. eyes. Um, <laughs> and she made minimum wage, and she took in five of us. There was five grandchildren she took in, and I was one of the five. Um, and she made what we would consider, I mean, she lived below the poverty line. Yeah. And yet my grandmother was able to save and pay off her cars early. And when she retired, her home was paid off. And so when I look at her and I think, oh, she could do it. Now, mind you, she didn't do it back in the 40s. My grandmother, you know, passed away um, in the early 90s. So we're not talking when, you know, bread was, you know, five cents. Right. Um, and I just look at her as the example because she never elevated herself up to where her salary was. Mm. Um, and so you could be making $20,000 and still find something to save. You can be making $200,000 and you absolutely should be finding something to save. And I work with people at all income levels. And it does astound me that people making six figures have less than people I know making twenty or $30,000 a year. When some of those big decisions they make, uh, you know, ends up costing them a lot. Absolutely. Because they're buying bigger houses, bigger cars, and that trap, right. you know, if something falls apart like their job, right. they're really in trouble. I do want to push you a little bit, Michelle, with Big Mama. I love that. <laughs> this is so fun. Uh, in your book, The 21-Day Financial Fast, you reference, though, um, kind of the residue of living and growing up in Big Mama's house because she was very thrifty. Yeah. And it made you, if I'm saying it correctly, uh, fearful of spending and being poor. Talk about that and how you manage that. Right. You know, I always describe my grandmother as a cross between a drill sergeant and a guardian angel. Uh, and so the drill sergeant in her taught me how to handle money amazingly so. I used to say that my grandmother could hold a penny and make Lincoln scream. <laughs> a drill sergeant a captures it. Yes. And, you know, the guardian angel part of her, what she showered down on me, though, however, was to be afraid. She was 
Even though she was a great money manager, she was always afraid of something happening. And when you live at that level, losing your job is devastating because, you know, you don't. she has savings, but maybe not enough to, to raise five grandchildren. And so she did instill in me a fear, uh, fear spending. Mm. Um, and so even though I made, as I made more money, I, you cannot grip money out of my hands. I mean, I just, I, I hate spending. In fact, I tell people this and they're shocked. My husband is the family CFO because if it was left up to me to pay anything, we would not, we would be running around buck naked. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm, I'm being completely honest. You, you know, are we, uh, pretty tight. <laughs> you know, I'm really tight. And I had to learn because I know that there's some folks out there who are good stewards over their money. I had to learn that it's okay to spend if you have all your financial ducks in a row, which I do. It's okay that when it comes time for your 15-year-old car, you know, even though it still runs, that it's okay to get another car. And guess what? You could actually even get a new car. Are. You know, it's okay to buy new shoes. And, That's know. good. I'm feeling good about my 05 Highlander, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I drive every day. Right. I got five more years out of that mm-hmm. thing. Easily. So, you know, we all have uh, yokes to break. And um, that's why that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I wrote the book. Um, and my yoke was fear. Uh-huh. You know, I always had this sort of bag lady syndrome that I'd end up as a bag lady. Now, I'm the product of Big Mama. I would never be that woman, but I was always fearful. So for mm. me, I had to learn to be okay with the wealth that I've accumulated through the grace of God. And so that's my yoke. Now, other folks have different yokes. Um, and some people might think, oh, that's a great you know, problem to have, but you don't want to be miserly. And I'm not miserly, um, but I always fight against that. Mm. And so that's the thing that I challenge myself to make sure. Um, and my husband and I are very generous and we tithe and, and so forth. But, you know, when I first started tithing, it was just like, oh, you know, I'm not going to have money for food, <laughs> which is well, crazy. Yeah, no. um, and I do. Uh, and so that's what I've been struggling with. And I still struggle. I'm better. Mm. I'm better. Well, let me ask you this before I do. We are going to get there. To the 21 day 21 fast. Day fast. <laughs> I want to talk to you about that. But, you know, um, when you're coming from really tight resources, uh, that was my mom. She was a single parent mom after she and my dad divorced. We lived in some bad neighborhoods. I went to third grade in Compton. Mm. My point in saying all that, though, is just whether you're coming from a uh, poor white community, a poor African American community, a poor Latino community. Um, it doesn't race doesn't matter. I experienced it. Uh, these things, these uh, principles, are important to embrace. Right. But talk about that distinction. Sometimes um, we feel um, the load is too much, right. and we look for reasons as to why. And maybe opportunity isn't quite the same for yeah. everybody. Yeah. I don't mind talking about that too. But talk about um, just the idea of the poor and what we need to be thinking about. You know, I'm glad you asked that question because whenever I speak, there's always someone who will stand up, you know, in a way challenging me. Well, you know, there's a lot of poor people, so how can you tell them to save when they don't have any money? Well, what would you say I should tell them as an alternative? Um, Because Mm. no matter what you earn, you've got to figure out a way to live within that means. Now, I have different messages where I try to help them get a better education and and better skill building. Um, And I always think about it like Paul. You know, Paul said, I have learned to live when I don't have a lot. And when I have a lot and that message resonates, whether you are poor or wealthy. Mm. And that's the message I try to give out to folks. Listen, I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to actually be hungry. And so I know what they're going through. 
I went through it. I was raised with it. But I also know that I had a grandmother who had a minimum wage job, five grandchildren. She did not take welfare. Mm. and still was able to save and feed us. Now, maybe we didn't have enough for seconds. So you had to hover over your food. <laughs> okay, somebody, because I'm a very slow eater. Oh. And so, you know, if you didn't hover over your food, someone's going to slip <laughs> your chicken off your plate. <laughs> I know that so, feeling. <laughs> so I know. So we had enough. Maybe not, you know, an abundance. But she always had food on our table and clothes on our uh, backs. Maybe we didn't have two pairs of shoes, but we had a pair of shoes. Right. So I know where you're coming from. Yeah. And now that I'm living better, I don't talk from the advantage of someone who grew up with a silver spoon. Right. And so I, it's so funny because whenever I talk to people, it's like I'm like the poster child for every possible demographic there is. I'm African-American. I'm woman. I'm married. I grew up poor. I'm wealthy now. <laughs> you, know? Right. you know, my son has autism. So I know what it's like to live with a disability. I had a disability. I had to you know, help my grandmother in her later years. So she was dying. I've been a caretaker because um, my brother had my one of my brothers had epilepsy. So I had to take care of him both physically and financially. When I graduated from college, my grandmother turned over the care of him to me. Hmm. Um, and, oh and I had to take care of him until he passed away his early 30s from a massive seizure. So I crossed every possible, you know, demographic. And so I, I completely understand where everyone sits. Mm. Uh, and so I think that the message has to be both personal responsibility, but also compassion. Right. And, and while they are helping themselves, we need to put things in place to help them. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Each October, we observe a long-standing tradition here at Focus on the Family called Pastor Appreciation Month. A pastor's work is tiring, and we can all come alongside and encourage them as they work in our local churches. Focus on the Family has downloads, videos, and other tools to provide ideas to help you support your pastor and their family. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, Michelle Singletary, our guest today on Focus on the Family with her book, The 21-Day Financial Fast. I think we've set it up. Now let's talk about it. Um, Where did you connect with this idea about fasting and applying it to your money? Wow. Um, well, at my church, and I belong to First Baptist Church of Glenarden in Maryland, um, and the pastor is John K. Jenkins, senior, wonderful uh, teaching <laughs> pastor. Um, and so a lot of the ministries at our church at the beginning of the year do the Daniel fast. And for those who are not familiar with the Daniel fast, you basically fast from meats and sweets and artificial anything, and it's just fruits and vegetables. It's just a healthy way. And then during the fast, you're looking to God, you're praying, you're kind of recentering yourself. And you're getting rid of yokes and things that you have, things that tug on your life that you should get rid of. So every year we do it at the beginning of the year. And about halfway through, I was, I'll be honest, I was struggling. How long do you go? You, it's 21 days. Okay. 
and I needed some meat. <laughs> halfway through, you were tired of fasting. I was tired of fasting. Fruits and vegetables were you getting know, thin. Them get thin. You know how many potatoes can you eat? You know? <laughs> and I was thinking about how much I was thinking about food, and how much I was thinking, you know what, this is really healthier, um, and I'm okay, even though I was joking about, you know, and it's a balance, right? And that once I came off the fast, I wanted to be sure to keep the focus on vegetables and healthy eating. And doing it, I thought, I wonder if I could do something similar with people and their money. What if I had them fast from unnecessary spending and credit and plastic Mm. so that you completely shut it down? Because when you shut something down, you start to really sort of think about what you've been doing with your life. In one case, it's just food, but in the other case, money. Mm. And so for 21 days, you get shut down from all of that. Now, people will sort of joke, you know, oh, do I pay my rent and stuff? No, that's crazy. Right. I'm going to co- invent a fast where you don't pay your bills. You know? Right. That's not, no, that's so called go to jail. you pay all your bills, including <laughs> your credit card bills. You pay your rent, your mortgage, your cell phone and everything. What you don't do is no unnecessary spending. And even grocery stores, because lots of people have issues, they overspend at the grocery store. Um, and so you have to have a tight grocery budget and you can only use cash. Because the thing about cash, because people think, you know, debit is sort of the new cash, people think. But a debit card is not the same as cash. Because here's the thing. There's studies that show that when you use plastic, debit or credit, you spend more than if you had cash. So if you had to go to the grocery store, most of us take multiple runs during the week. And all those runs mostly to fill, you know, milk and vegetables, right? That's what we say. So we go in. We just need a gallon of milk and some eggs and some veggies. Don't forget that ice cream. And Well, see, there you (laughs) go, right there. Dairy products. Right there. <laughs> so you go in with like three things on your list. You come out with 20 things mm-hmm. on your list. And if you only had $20, you could only buy those three things. But because you have a debit card, because you have a credit card, you can overspend. And so I want you to get acquainted with mm. limitations. And mm. so the fastest to shut it down, limitations, limitations, limitations. And so and then credit, obviously, to get you starting thinking about debt. And people think, oh, it's easy. I could do that for 21 days. About day three, I start getting emails from people like, you are crazy. I can't let, you know, because we just, we just spend so much Mm -hmm. and we don't prioritize our spending. And I had people talk about how, you know, one woman said day three, she stopped smoking because she Uh. realized how much she was spending on cigarettes, Mm. which is an enormously expensive habit. I mean, people were saying, I didn't realize how much I was spending eating out for lunch. Now, here's the thing. Most financial experts will say, you know, cut out the expensive coffee, cut out this because you'll save millions, which is really the math doesn't work. Um, I don't tell you any of that because here's the difference with me. You decide what is important for your budget. And if getting that expensive, nicely brewed coffee in the morning is what you like and it will keep you you don't mind from slapping your coworkers because you know we got some (laughs) definitely get that coffee (laughs) definitely get that coffee but here's the thing you can't get the coffee and eat out at your lunch and buy all the clothes and buy the car and send your kids to us and you can't do it all even Mm. bill gates one of the richest men in america could go broke because you gotta put limits on it so the fast helps you shut when you shut down everything when it comes time to reboot you have now figured out what really matters to you. Hey, I really like that coffee, but you know what? I can make my lunch. That's what the fast does. Yeah, some trade-offs. And, man, you are going, and I want to go. <laughs> I got to <laughs> No, it's good because I want to take you back to something you said. My mind is right there with 
limiting the amount of cash you take to the grocery store, hmm. I think is what you're implying. Right. I'd never thought about that because I just, you know, guys and women too, purses and wallets. We have plastic. We got right. even cash we've got in there. But if I said to myself, I just need these four things and then take just that amount of cash roughly, kind of right. calculate it, four bucks for milk, whatever else, and just put that much cash and don't spend the credit card. That mm. does give you the discipline. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And when I say cash, people freak out. Well, what do you mean? i got to walk around with thousands of dollars? Like, seriously? Wait, that's how we think these days. No, you take out just enough that you need for that day or that week, mm. uh, and you only take that. And the thing is, we've got to get rid of this. I mean, think about it now. They have set up credit and plastic debit, so it's so easy that you don't remember, I mean, I'm kind of dating myself. Remember how they had to pull out the machine and they had to put the card in there and they had to yeah. slide yeah. it, you know, around. and it yeah. took about five or ten minutes. Yeah. Now you can walk past machines with your keys right, and pay for stuff. Flash we, the card. We can flash our phones and pay something. Mm-hmm. And it's not done without thought because they have people who study how to reduce the amount of time it takes for you to pay for stuff. So if it's really quick, you're not making that calculation in your mind. Hey, this is kind of expensive. If we had to pay cash for our cars, most of us would be driving Ford Focuses. (laughs) (laughs) Ford Focuses, they're relatively cheap. Relatively cheap because if you had to lay out all that money, Hmm. you know, like just take big screen TVs. You know, you could get a big screen TV for 2000 maybe a nice one three thousand. If you had to go to the store and hand out those hundred dollar bills, probably about five hundred dollars, you'd be thinking, "I don't really need this TV." Um, and I'm not saying don't get the big screen TV. I'm just saying we need to think about how much we are spending before we spend it. Let me ask you this then: with uh, the twenty thirty somethings, uh, is this more of a problem oh, because yeah. they're more inclined to use technology to pay their bills? Sometimes my kids will laugh at me that I'm writing a check. Right. They go, you don't have to write a check. We had that the other day. We went to deposit a check at the bank, and Jean said it was one of those young women talking to an older woman moment. And she's going, you know, you can just take a photo of that check and deposit it straight to us with a photo from your house. And Jean's like, I felt like I was so old. I said, you could really do that? And the woman said, yeah, that's the way most people do it now. That is so funny. But that that does prove the point. There's so much technology. 20, 30-somethings are so Mm. into it. Does it reduce their ability to say no? Are you seeing more of a need for financial counseling within that community than Mm. perhaps an older community that did it the old-fashioned way? You know, honestly, no. Uh (laughs) I see uh, financial illiteracy and inability to handle money from people who are 15 to people who are 100. (laughs) I mean, or maybe 90, I think, is the oldest I've actually helped counsel. Um, No, I think it's not the age, it's our society. Mm. And so I see young folks who who are good with their money. I see young folks who are not good with their money. I see middle-aged folks who are awful with their money and who are good with their money. I'm seeing it across the board. Mm. Uh, And my challenge is to get rid of those messages that they have to overspend. Well, what I'd like to do is come back next time. You talk about an acronym PAY, and I want to start next time with that. But tell us now what PAY means. So what I try to do is build in things to help people join the fast. Um, And so you want to start out by praying about what you want. Um, Because oftentimes we think we want something and we really aren't doing what it takes to get that. And so I, you know, every 
beginning, because you read one chapter a day. And so at the beginning of each day in each chapter, I want you to pray and ask, what is God's will for your life when it comes to your finances? And then act at the end of every chapter, every day, there's an assignment that I give you because, you know, sometimes as Christians, sometimes, you know, we go, oh, the Lord going to make a way. Well, you know, he's going to make a way if you help him. <laughs> you know? I mean, I like the, when they talk about the whole armor of God, when it says, when you've done all that you can, right, mm-hmm. then you stand. See, people forget that first part. When you've done all that you can, then you stand. Because mm-hmm. God's got, he's got your back. But there's some things that you have to do. Um, and so you've got to act. So, for example, I think day seven, when I talk about budgeting, you actually have to do a budget. <laughs> you, know? right. you actually have to save. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know? you know, Proverbs, it talks about the ants and yeah. how they work all year round to store up. Why the grasshopper, everybody's having a good old time during summer. And they're like, you know, look. When it's going to come, we got to make sure we have story. Same thing. So you got to pray. Then you have to act. Um, and then yield. Because what is God asking you to do? And here's the thing about that yielding. Because lots of times I, when I go to forums, people talk about entrepreneurship, for example, as if everybody should be an entrepreneur. I believe in entrepreneurship, but not for everybody. Because maybe God's will is for you to be a teacher. Mm. Maybe God's will is for you to be a bus driver. Maybe God's will is for you to be a counselor. And so you've got to figure out where you're supposed to be, and then you handle your money accordingly. For example, my daughter uh, wants to be a teacher. She wants to be in education. So what's the first thing people say when someone wants to be a teacher? How can you afford to do that? Right. But you know what? The people who made the biggest difference in my life were educators. So I am not going to discourage my child from being an educator because she may not earn six figures. What I'm going to do is teach my child to pray, to act, and to yield. And so that she will have enough money for what she wants to do in life. And so that's what pay is all about. Uh, It's good. Michelle Singletary, author of the book, The 21 Day Financial Fast. Uh, Let's pick it up next time. I've got some more, hopefully, hard questions for you. (laughs) And uh, can you stick with us? I sure can. All right, let's do it. What a fun, engaging conversation with Michelle Singletary. And I do hope you've been uh, inspired by her idea of a 21-day financial fast. Uh, to get your money situation in order. Get a copy of that book by Michelle and follow the outline on how to do that. Um, You'll find the daily challenges and journal prompts are a great roadmap for saving and getting out of debt and making your financial goals a reality. Get your copy of that book, The 21-Day Financial Fast, and a CD or instant download of this conversation at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And Michelle talked about generosity and the importance of giving to your local church and other uh, important organizations. I trust Focus on the Family is one of those organizations that uh, you consider worthy of your support. Every day we come into work um, ready to come alongside millions of folks worldwide like you who are looking for biblical trusted advice. And we need your help to continue in that mission. I'll invite you today to make a difference in the lives of others by joining our support team. And you can donate today when you call 800-A-FAMILY, 800-232-6459, or visit focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire Focus on the Family staff, thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. 
We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. And so I want you to get acquainted with limitations. And Mm. so the fast is to shut it down. Limitations, limitations, limitations. And so, and then credit, obviously, to get you starting thinking about debt. And people think, oh, it's easy. I could do that for 21 days. About day three, I start getting emails from people like, you are crazy. I can't let, you know, because we just, we just spend so much. That's Michelle Singletary talking about some rather common reactions to her suggestion that you might need to take a 21-day financial fast from all unnecessary spending. And right there, it sounds like it might be a little harder to implement than we'd like it to be. You'll hear some encouragement to save more and to be a better steward of your finances today on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. John, as we said last time, uh, finances can be a big problem in marriage, and really it's a symptom of our behavior. And that's what uh, Michelle's talking about in that soundbite. And if you missed our broadcast last time, get the download, the CD, or get the app for your smartphone. It's really good information, and I thought she really spoke from both her heart and her head about the importance of knowing how to spend money wisely. Yeah, she's a really winsome guest, and we're going to have details online about uh, how you can get a copy of Michelle's book, The 21-Day Financial Fast. Our website is focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or go ahead and give us a call, 800, the letter A, and the word family. Let's go ahead and join day two of the conversation on Focus on the Family. Uh, Michelle, let me welcome you back to Focus on the Family. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> well, I could see it. Your face, you're bubbly about it, and that's good. Not too many people are bubbly about their finances. <laughs> I know. But uh, you write for the Washington Post. That is no small achievement that you're a columnist with the Washington Post. That's big-time stuff. So congratulations. Thank you. I do feel blessed. Yeah. And in fact, it's so funny that the reason why I got the column and it's syndicated across the country so people might see it in their uh, newspaper was because of my grandmother, Big Mama. I, um, you know, I work at the Washington Post and, and very, um, very she talented, you. you know, oh, she was, she was, <laughs> I left my hometown paper to go to the post and she wasn't happy about that because she wanted me to stay in Baltimore. Uh-uh. Um, but when I got to the post, I was bringing my lunch. Now, in Washington, the whole thing about Washington is you have to do lunch. And so when I got there, people were like, oh, you want to go out lunch with us? I was like, do you all know how much it costs to go mm. to lunch? And so I'm bringing <laughs> my bag lunch to the Washington Post, right? right? So I'm the only person at my desk most days, you know, with my lunch. There was a couple other people who were good about that as well. And so my editor was like, you're always talking about this big mama and money. You should write a column about it. This was like, I think, in 97, um, before personal finance became sort of the the big thing. And so I wrote about what I learned from my grandmother, Big Mama. And this is even before email and Internet. We got so many bags of mail that they were just blown away. And we're talking from people from all walks of life, you know, old and young and rich and black and white and Jewish and and Christian. I mean, it was just, they were like, wow, you know, somebody who thinks like me or somebody had a grandmother like me. Um, And so that's what really started the column. I just talked about the principles that my grandmother, you know, taught me about money. And then from there, I just started writing the column, and now, you know, 100 clients later, newspaper clients, um, it's syndicated across the country, and I couldn't be happier, and I've stuck right to my roots. I'm still very simple about, because the things that it would take for you to be rich, 
um, are not what people think. You know, you go to a forum and people want you to give them some stock tips or investment tips or what's the secret to being rich. Um, there really isn't a secret. It's the same tried and true method yeah. um, that for me anyway, you give first because that has to be the first thing that you do with your money to give it away to tithe, to give to your local church, to give to places like folks of family. You got, that has to be top, even above your mortgage. Mm. Because if you don't, if it's last, if you pay everybody else, there's not enough. And I feel like when you put yourself in a prospect of giving first, God is going to return it back to you. It's not a tit for tat. But he looks down and he says, ah, oh, there's a good and faithful steward right there. Mm. Um, and then secondly, you know, here's the thing about what I love about this is that, you know, it doesn't take some great stock tip. It's just live below your leans. Put your head down. Say, what are your priorities? When we do studies and people say, what are your priorities? They say the right things. I want to pay my house off. I want to retire. I want to give to my church. I want to, you know, send my kids to college. But then when you look at their checkbook, it doesn't reflect their values. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just trying to align you up there. And if I could tell you this really quick story, my pastor, who's just wonderful, he did this one Sunday. He asked us how many people are rich. Now, I, I belong to a mega church, thousands of people. You could count on one hand the number of people who rose their hand. Mm. I did not hold up my hand. And I didn't for the same reason all those thousands of other people didn't. Because we were all in our head thinking, well, I don't have enough of my retirement. I don't have enough of this. And I don't have this. And, da, da, da. and, and what does he mean by that? Does he mean this? And we were all doing these calculations. And so then he asked us a series of questions. I will never forget this sermon. He said, how many of you could get up in the morning and get a clean glass of water? Mm. How many of you could open up the closet and decide what to wear? He said, how many of you have somebody who loves you? And then as he asked each of these questions, we all kind of sunk in our chairs because mm. our definition of rich was wrong. Mm. And if you use his definition of rich, if you, and we talk about that in the book about being content. If you are more content, you have more money because you're not trying to get so much stuff. Well, I mean, that is well said. The, the key there though, is how much discontentment there is. Right. It, especially in our culture, Western culture particularly, but certainly in America and Canada, uh, when you look at it, um, it, it's almost like they prey on that. They're right. pushing us. They're pushing us to that discontent level. Right. Um, why is that? And then we as people of faith, how should we be responding in a culture that's indulging us? And let me ask you this too, uh, when it comes to that entitlement feeling, it's all kind of tied together. It so is. how do we get free of the snare of feeling like mm -hmm. I'm owed something? Right. And entitlement and content are two different things. Entitlement is like I deserve something. And excuse me, I had in a sense of entitlement. I don't like to be cold. You know, I just don't like to be cold. And I don't want to wear a whole bunch of sweaters because I don't want a whole bunch of stuff on my body. And so <laughs> my husband kidnapped my space heater one year. <laughs> because our energy bill was too high. He literally kidnapped it and wouldn't give it back. And then he went throughout our house and put in programmable thermostats so that it would adjust. Because during the night before he put them in, he'd go to sleep. I'd turn the heat up. I'm not even going to tell you the temperature because it's really, it's not Oh, come on, you got to. Oh, my gosh, it was terrible. Like to 80, which is crazy. Whoa. Yes, I mean, it's like living in the tropics. I'm not kidding. Now I understand your husband's <laughs> actions. He's like, he'd, get, he'd, make, he'd wake up in the middle like a... <gasps> He couldn't breathe. <laughs> what did you do? And so we had this battle all night long of turning the air, you know, the heat up and down, up and down. So he finally put in program and he threatened me. He's like, don't you touch these thermostats. Um, and, you know, he was right because I had this sense of entitlement. Why can't I throw on an extra sweater? 
you know, first of all, it stays our energy bill, but also we needed to be, I needed to be more energy efficient because that's a good, admirable thing to do. Now, some nights I have on footy pajamas. That's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> He's not too happy about those nights. <laughs> oh, man. But those then are I tough choices. <laughs> I just point to the programmable thermostat. <laughs> the way to my heart. The programmable thermostat. <laughs> No, that is good. So, so for me, I had to get rid of that sense of entitlement, that I was entitled to all this heat, which was crazy. Now, contentment, we are bombarded with messages not to be happy where we are. I personally think that's why we have such a high divorce rate, because you're not happy with the spouse that you have because you're not happy, so you got to go get another one. And we're teaching our kids that, that you can't be satisfied. I mean, we have birthday parties that are more like coronations. Mm. You know, and and if we're having those when they're young, you know, what do they have to look forward to? I mean, my husband, who's very frugal, because I I wanted to marry somebody who was similar to me. And when we were (laughs) dating, he wouldn't shower me with stuff because he says, if I do all this now, what do you have to look forward to? You know, he likes, he's like, you know, if I shoot for the moon, you know. (laughs) You know, Michelle, it's good. Good to hear that. But it sounds like you married well. And he married well. So you're both very frugal. That's not most people. Right. Um, And I'm I'm thinking of uh, the couple that's really struggling. Uh, Let's talk to the Christian couple who's really struggling and they haven't been able to curb their appetites. Um, It's been a bit out of control. How do they invite God into that process? You know, there's a day in the book where we talk about couples and money. And um, I believe that you have to, first of all, I'm going to talk to people who are thinking about getting married and people who are already married. So let's start with the people who are already married. You've got to sit down and come up with a plan because you're right. Opposites tend to attract. Savor marriage is spendthrift and it's cause for a lot of combustion. And it's interesting you should say it is true that people say money is the number one reason why to get divorced, but it's not the lack of money or the abundance of money. It's all those underlying issues, Mm -hmm. the sense of an entitlement, you know, contentment. I mean, I grew up poor. So you have people in marriages who grew up poor who who say, I don't ever want to be poor again. I'm going to get whatever I want because I didn't have shoes when I was growing up. And so they overspend. Or you have people who grew up in miserly homes. And so they want to overspend because they were denied so much as a child. Mm. Or you have people who grew up in homes that were good. They had money. And so now they're trying to repeat that situation. Um, And so what I tell couples is get to the root first Mm -hmm. because you can't heal that unless you know what's going on. And how do you get to the root? I believe in Christian counseling. I believe talk to your pastor. Get into a program at your church. My church has a number of programs. Um, And so you got to come up with a plan. And so we have... In the book, I talk about house rules. So, for example, you know, you have to have a, my husband came up with this, you have to have two yeses and one no. So, unless you both agree to something, you can't buy it. It took us eight years to get a dining room set. Eight years for a dining room (laughs) set. Eight years, because our aesthetics are different, and we couldn't agree, so we couldn't get a dining room set. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at focusonthefamily.com slash getaway. That's focusonthefamily.com slash getaway. 
I was convinced that nothing could change what was going on in our marriage, and I didn't want to try anymore. But my commitment to God helped me try one more time. We went to a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, and it was life-changing. The counselors created the safest environment we could imagine, so that let us really talk. We're on a much different course now, and I believe we received a miracle that week. Receive your free consultation at HopeRestored.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Hey, Michelle, let me ask you, uh, budgeting can be tough. Gene and I, we struggle. We're in and out, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, just convince me. Why, does that, why is that the backbone? Okay, I'm going to convince you. Now, don't be offended by what I'm going to say. So, you know, there's this stereotype of guys not asking for directions, right? I bet you're kind of like that too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I tell folks, particularly guys, is that when you are about to take a road trip to someplace that you are not familiar with, you're going to come, you're going to find directions, right? Or you're going to use your GPS system or something or your phone or Google map or something, correct? Hmm. You have to exactly think about that with your money. You can't get to where you're going unless you have a road map. Hmm. You would never get on the road and not know what exit to take. How long is it going to take you to get there unless you had a plan? And I don't embrace this whole thing that a budget is drudgery or, you know, people will say, oh, I, you know, it's so restrictive. Um, And then some experts say, don't call it a budget, call it a spending plan. It's a budget. Embrace it. (laughs) You know, and here's why. I did a session at my church, which is where the book came from, and I asked everybody to do a budget. And halfway through, before we proceed, I want to know who's not done their budget. And usually about half the people, you know, sheepishly raise their hand. One woman, I'll never forget her. She was about in her 50s. And I kept pressing, why haven't you done a budget? Why haven't you done a budget? And she, she finally broke down, and she said, I make really good money, and I have nothing to show for it. If I did my budget, it's going to tell me that I spend more than I make and that I'm in really big trouble. And I just can't face that. Mm -hmm. And the room Mm -hmm. got quiet. And you could see I teared up. Everybody, all the women (laughs) were, you know, crying. Because I could completely understand. She was embarrassed. And then another person was like, well, it's going to tell me what I can't do. And I, I work hard. I grew up poor. You know, I have a good job. I don't want something to tell me what I can't have. And then I asked both of them, how's not knowing working for you? You Mm. absolutely have to know. And I'll end with this. I tell people, if Christ came back today and he looked at how you handled your money, would he say, well done, my faithful steward? Could he say that about the money that he's entrusted with you? I want him to be able to look at what I've done with my money and say, well done, Michelle. Mm. You've given. You helped other relatives go to college. You saved to send your kids to coldest college so that they can do the things they want to do. My son has autism. He may not be able to be out on his own as soon as my other two kids, but I have money to help him along the way. You know, we give to the poor. We give to other causes. And that's what a budget does. See, I don't see a budget as restrictive. I see a budget as telling me what I can do. Mm. See, that's how I look at it. And that's how I want others to look at it, no matter how much you make. And I keep going back to my grandmother. She never made more than like $13,000. 
a year. Raising five grandkids. Raising five grandchildren. Never on welfare. Never on welfare. Hmm. And she was able to do it because she had a plan and she had a budget. Michelle, I mean, that is so good. Um, I do want to give people a couple of more handles, mm-hmm. though. Uh, you talk about two accounts that are really important to save for. You've touched on one in terms of uh, college and that kind of thing, which I think is great. We try to do that through 529s right. and other things. But you also talk about that emergency fund. Um, that one can get a little trickier. I know for me, um, I tend to, that one builds up a bit, and then boom, I've right. got to use it for something, which yeah, is... You've got a car repair or something Yeah, like I mean, that. it's what it's for, but it feels like I can never really get ahead in that category. Mm-hmm. I'm always almost even. Something right. breaks, it takes about what's in there, sometimes a bit more. Right. How do you concentrate on that emergency fund? That is such a great question, and I realized that that was what was stopping people. Um, so what I write about in the book and um, when the day we talk about saving is that really you need two different savings accounts. You need your emergency fund. That is the fund that you put money in for if you lose your job. Like my one of my kids became gravely ill, um, literally on her deathbed, and my husband and I had to take off about two months. Now, we had good health insurance and, and good leave so that we didn't have to go without pay. But say you had to go without pay. That's where you're going to pull that money from, the emergency fund. That's a dire situation. It, what's the rule of thumb on that, though? Is that two three months? To si- three three to, to six, six months. months. Three to six months. Now, here's the caveat. It depends on the type of job that you have. If you have a job like you guys, right, it's not easy to get this type of job someplace else because like I'm a columnist you don't just walk into a newspaper and get a columnist job and so for people who are highly paid and highly skilled and it may take you a little longer to get that type of job you want to actually have probably a year's work because for those jobs it takes anywhere from a year to 18 months to find that type of job if you're a nurse or some some job where you know you're the high demand, demand high demand you could get away with three to six months hmm. um, three at a minimum for everybody hmm. So you add up everything that it costs to run your house, and that's what you save. And then the second savings account, I call it the Life Happens Fund. That That's the fund you're going to be dipping in, putting in, taking out, putting in, taking out. The Life Happens. The Life Happens Fund. <laughs> you can put your vacation money there, car repair money, kids' sports programs, all the kinds of stuff that you constantly are pulling from that mm. you may not necessarily plan for in your regular budget. And that way you don't feel guilty because that is something that you're going to be tapping. It's okay to tap that fund. Right. Mm. Wow. There's so much good stuff here, Jim. And I think uh, one of the things, Michelle, I've heard time and again is you got to know what you're spending and where the money is going. When my wife, Dina, went off to college, her daddy said, track your expenses. And she did. And after the first semester, she brought him the the accounting. And he said, well, I, I didn't mean 10 cents for a candy bar. I was looking at some of the bigger expenses. So she really is very thrifty about this. But life, uh, life has a way of getting busy and you quit tracking it. So one thing I'm going to do as a result of our conversation today is really start taking notes. Where does the money go? How are we spending that? Because I can't get the roadmap. I can't get the budget. I can't plan the things that you're talking about unless I know. That's hard, though. It's hard. It really is hard because you start to, and at the back of the book, I tell you, you really ought to do it like a 30-day spending journal. And Mm. you ought to track the 10 cents candy bar. Well, candy bar doesn't cost 10 cents anymore, but but track everything. Just just for a little while so that you can see all the unconscious spending that you do. Yeah, my doctor Um, might like that, too. (laughs) (laughs) I did eat that Mounds bar. But you know, I don't 
people to go away feeling daunted because we said a lot of things. We said emergency fund, have that. We said have a life happens fund. If you're married, we said, you know, talk to your honey, get in some classes if they won't come. If they come, great. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about if you're not married. But that's an important group of folks because that is the period at which you can really discern the person that you're going to marry. And here's what I tell people. If you're thinking about getting married, before you plan the reception, the wedding, pick out the napkins, pick out the gown, I want you to go to a premarital class that's several weeks, not just one session. And that sessions that have financial component to it and a financial component that will have you pull all three of your credit reports and all three of your credit scores. You're going to put everything on the table. Now, that's when you're deciding that you're going to get married because that's the time that you share that kind of information. Now, let me ask you this, though. I, I'm hearing you clearly. Uh, you go to that as a young couple and you're the one thinking, here's my man. Right. This is the guy I want to marry. And then by session three, you're going, uh-oh, he may not be the guy. That takes a lot of courage to back up in that mm, moment. It does. And, and so often I would think a, a, a person would not put the brake on. But you're really saying if they don't know what they're doing with their money, it may be wise. Or are you saying definitely I put say the brake listen on? to the red flags. Here, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you should marry someone who has a checkered credit past. Because we are all fallible. We all sin. I'm not saying that. Don't just toss people away because something happened in their because financial life. Because of their FICO life. score. Because of their FICO score. Absolutely not. What you need to look for is, do they recognize that they had an issue, whether it was because of something they did or something that was out of their control? And are they changing? If you don't see an effort to change, that's when you put the brakes on. And I absolutely mean that you do not get married because it will not change. It will not get easier. Mm. If you're a Christian, he's got to be a Christian man. He's got to know the God and the word of God and have a thirst for it. That's what you look for. Mm. Uh, and that it, more than anything else, because, you know, marriage is not easy. And if you come unequally yoked and then you have someone who's not willing to change and be better, that's the issues that you're going to come mm. up with. And so that's what I tell people who are not married uh, to do that so that you and I'm not saying it's going to be easy because you can still marry your money opposite but it'll be a little bit easier because right. you'll come up with a plan on how to handle it. And I'm sure again you're all going to have to work from where you're at so right. if you're starting with little you're going to have to work hard if you're right. starting ahead you won't maybe have to work as hard. Right. Let me end with this mm-hmm. because it's hopeful mm-hmm. Michelle and I, I think that's a wise way to go. Uh, you had a friend Juanita who took this fast the 21 day fast the title of your book mm-hmm. And uh, she applied it to other areas of her life. Tell us what happened with Juanita. Yeah. I'm going to try to tell her without crying because she was amazing. Um, And I'm so glad we're going to end on this because um, I don't want people to think that this is impossible because nothing is impossible with God. Mm. Nothing. Whether you make minimum wage or six-figure salaries, nothing's impossible. So Juanita was such a faithful steward and she was like my little groupie and she did the fast and uh, she organized her life um, to the point where um, she tragically passed away in a car accident around Thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, and um, her family it was so tragic that her family couldn't bring themselves to clear out her apartment and she was on my leadership team at church and so they asked us to clean out her apartment so we went in there and you know when somebody passes away you're thinking oh the stuff I have to wade through We walked into her apartment, and it was the example of someone who was completely content with having only what she needed. 
So in her closet, it was half empty because she only needed like two coats. She only had like two dish settings for her and a guest. I mean, it was just amazing how little she had because she didn't need so much. And all her files were organized, her insurance records, her computer records, everything. We, we didn't have to wade through anything. It was amazing how organized all her financial files were, all her clothing, her dishes. She didn't even have a trash can because she didn't generate a lot of waste. Mm. And it, it put me to shame. And I'm very frugal. Our whole leadership team, we just had to stop at one moment and just pray because we thought this is what we should be doing mm. to live a life. She was abundantly wealthy without having a lot of stuff. Mm. And it, it turned out to be a blessing to her family because they didn't have to worry about anything. And we were able to pack her up in a couple hours. Mm. It was just a testimony to someone who went from $100,000 in debt to no debt and then tragically passing away and in her passing showed us what it meant to be rich. And there was some left over for her family. And she had money and things left over for her nieces because she wanted to help them and her family. Hmm. And um, I just, I wish I could be more like her because I look at the stuff I have even in my house and I still have more than I need. What a great story though, Michelle. Michelle Singletary, author of the book, The 21 Day Financial Fast. Thank you. Um, in so many ways, may we all be more like Juanita. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that way, when we end, no matter how we end, to be right with the Lord and uh, leave an impression with those around us that they would say the same thing. Right. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Um, great to have you with us. Thank you. Well, what a meaningful way to end our conversation with Michelle Singletary for the past couple of days on Focus on the Family. And I hope you've been inspired by that story of Juanita and the great help that Michelle has been offering all of us about saving and becoming debt-free, living more simply, and giving generously. Now, you can get a copy of Michelle's book, The 21-Day Financial Fast, from us here at Focus on the Family. It's a terrific step-by-step guide on getting your finances in order. Call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And one of those aspects of being financially fit, if you will, as we've talked about, is in giving. And uh, in that vein, let me just ask you to consider making a financial contribution to the work here of Focus on the Family to help us do ministry in the name of Christ through these radio programs, our website, events, uh, our social media presence, counseling, and so much more. We're seeing lives changed in amazing ways every day. And through your contribution, you're making that possible. So call 800, the letter A, and the word family. 800-232-6459. And when you make a gift of any amount, we'll send a copy of Michelle's book as our way of saying thanks for joining the support team. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 